The seafood industry is laying off staff. Let's have a look. Hello everyone, Florian Heiser here, and welcome to another episode of Heiser Says. I've got my morning shine of coffee, and I thought we'd start the day today by having a look at this article from the ABC that discusses, well, the seafood industry and how the decline in exports are forcing businesses to lay off staff. Now, before we jump through this article, let's, I just want to bring everyone's attention to the one of the crayfish cooperatives in Western Australia. And let's have a look at their history because, you know, we've read previously how the crayfish industry in Western Australia, one of the cooperatives that controls about 60% of the crayfish brought ashore, is pretty much exporting 97% of their product to China. So they've stopped buying crayfish from people. So this is their history. And this is from Brolos. And, uh, you know, since the 1950s. So the Western rock lobster, the early days. From the early 1900s, the Western rock lobster industry was controlled by a small group of factories that purchased the fishermen's products at the lowest price possible, processed the lobster, and then sold to various markets, predominantly the United States. Often referred to as canneries, these processors canned the lobster and exported them overseas. Most of the sales were consigned to fulfill defense force contracts. So, in I love the old architecture there. Just, you know, simple brick, sun shading, you know, nice. I'm a fan of it. In 49-51, a small group of fishermen lo- located in Geraldton fl- flooded or flouted the idea of a northern cooperative with the intention of deregulating the industry controlled by factory owners, increase returns to the cat on their catch, and develop greater marketing efficiencies. Now, I mean this this is how the free market works, guys. People start a business. They started up their own cannery to provide competition for the established ones, which is a great success story. So in May nineteen fifty one, the first shipment of Brolos brand Western Rock Lobster was processed and they developed the US market. Post war American consumer palates evolved demanding a sophisticated product that canned crayfish, demanding a sophisticated product, a more so- demanding a more sophisticated product than canned crayfish. Okay. WA fishermen implemented more select grading scales and quality control, mirror- mirroring from the South African industry with the intention of gaining a market share in the lucrative US tails market. Okay, so they didn't just want the canned stuff anymore. So they had to adapt and evolve to the changing markets, which is good, which is a good sign, which is normal. In 52, Geraldton Fisherman's Cooperative was one of 10 lobster processors operating in Western Australia. GFC had begun to establish itself as an innovative processor offering a range of frozen lobster tail products to the United States, as well as servicing co-op fishermen and members with various services, including pot leasing, marine brokerage, and financial advice and assistance. So only in 52, only in two years they'd gotten to this point. I'm quite impressed. I like hearing these stories of business success, probably because we hear so many stories of, of, well, at the moment, of no business success. But I'd say Australia was a little different in the 50s to now. So 54 to 55. 
Early research indicated that the developing Asian economy may provide a new export opportunity for GFC and Western Rock Lobster, and the potential to diversify product offerings. Early trials of Hall Cooked Lobster were sent to Singapore and Japan. Oh, there you go. In the 50s, guys. So in 50 to the 60s. Throughout the 50s and 60s, GFC continued to be on the precipice of an evolving rock lobster industry. The timing of the co-op and the overriding strategic intentions to effectively service fishermen and provide innovative, efficient marketing strategies were intrinsic in development of the Western Rock Lobster as a brand on the global stage. The industry had undergone a chrysalis from a one-dimension mass-marketed lobster cannery to a professional and innovative industry. Which sounds great. In the 60s. In the 60s. As part of a strategic initiative to diversify processing capabilities, GFC experimented with catching processing prawns and scallops along with along the Midwest coast during lob rock lobster fishery closures. And in the nineteen seventy nine, the Royal Seal of Approval, His Royal Highness, the Princess of Wales officially opened Geraldton's Fisherman's Cooperative new building on the 14th of March, 1979. And in 1984, live exports to ensure the full range of Brolo's products were made available to international customers. It was decided to experiment with the export of live lobsters. A small shed which with 18 tanks was built behind the co-op store and through trial and error, an operational system was devised ready for the 1985 season. And here we go in 1990s in Taiwan. Taiwan becomes the leading destination for WRL and GFC also pioneers direct sales of live lobsters into Beijing. Into Beijing. In 2000, so they received MSC certification. The Western Rock Lobster Fishery becomes the world's first to be certified by the Marine Stewardship Council for Sustainable Fishing Practices. Originally certified in March 2000, the fisheries has been since recertified four times, most recently in May 2017. And in the 2000s, GFC develops sashimi-grade frozen products as well as ready-to-serve food service products. Western European demand grows. Live sales to China start to gradually increase. GFC has grown its market share through both organic, through both organic growth and acquisitions increasing from 19% to over 60% through the decade. So here you go. I mean, they've grown and, well, we see where this is happening. 2015, the GFC in China, and this isn't the global financial crisis, this is the, the uh, Geraldton Fisherman's Cooperative. They launched in China in 2015, designed to shorten the supply chain from Perth and capitalize on China's dominance as the most significant single seafood consumption market in the world. And this is the problem, guys, they now heavily reliant on that Chinese export. And 2017, the Welsh Pool Live Lobster Facility, $23 million Live Lobster Storage and Export Facilities Commissioned. Okay. So here we have a bit of a, is there any more? No, just the fishermen. Here we have an overview of this cooperative from Western Australia. Now, one of the things we can take from this is they have had to pivot in the past. They've had to adapt in the past. They've responded to challenges in the past. So just keep that in mind when we go through what's happening here. Perhaps this cooperative have become too reliant on the Chinese export market because, well, 
we'll jump back over here to the Australian Observatory of Economic Complexity and you can see down here 35% of our exports go to China. My understanding is from the last article I read about the WA Cooperative, about 97% of their exports go over to China. So a huge amount of their product goes over there. They essentially stopped buying. They stopped buying lobsters. So let's have a look at this. So the coronavirus devastates Australian export businesses as economic cost of emergencies filter through. The economic ripple effect of coronavirus has hit Australia's seafood industry with staff laid off and businesses facing the prospect of closure, one operator says. Sonia Innocen from Cairns-based Taurus Straits Seafood in far north Queensland said live imports into China have been cut so she had nowhere to sell her product. Now this is interesting because we were just reading about the WA Cooperative which exports 97% of their product to China and they've, as we've said previously, they've halted all purchasing. Same thing's happening here in Queensland. I mean, you'd hope, you'd hope she'd have the ability to sell it to local restaurants and to local businesses. The coronavirus has really affected the whole fishing industry. We do lobster and live coral trout it's affected both of those as well as pretty much every other fishing industry in Australia, she said. Boats are tied up. They can't go out. Most of our product goes into China or through Hong Kong as well into China. Hong Kong's been affected, as we all know, for quite a long time now with the riots and things have been going on there. All of the fishermen are not able to work and we've had staff we've had to put off. We have nothing that we can replace that with. Miss... Uh, Miss Einerson said commercial fishers and seafood export businesses relied on the Chinese New Year period to bolster their income. All the restaurants have closed down. All of the New Year celebrations were cancelled, which is a huge thing in China, and it should be our best time of year, she said. It's where it gets a lot of the fishermen through. Some of the times when prices are a little bit leaner by making up for this time of year, but everything was cancelled, so it's been very drastic. Everybody's extremely worried. We have no idea how long it's going to last for and there is no word of any sort of assistance that anyone might be receiving. They don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to pay their mortgages, look after their families. She said the local market has been affected. She said there was a domestic market for some of the product but it had been difficult because most of the live seafood goes to Chinese consumers. Well, I'd say that uh, perhaps we just we can't afford it anymore in Australia. When it's so exp when you can make so much more money sending it to China. How many of you? Let me know in the comments. How many of you will eat live seafood? We try and have prawns. I think once a week, and we usually buy the frozen stuff from from Aldi, which is probably imported because it's cheaper. You know, it makes a difference. These because it's seafood is not cheap. It's expensive. So even our domestic market has been drastically affected by having no tourists coming in. And then also the people that are already here are just not going out to celebrate, she said. So more pain for bushfire affected exporters. Deanne Tipping from the Export Council of Australia said China was the country's largest export market. And there are concerns over the reductions of flights. Well, yes, I mean, we've, we've seen that. Just look at our, the size of our tourist industry, guys. That's bigger than our iron ore exports. 
It's bigger than a lot of other exports. And now, well, Chinese nationals can't seem to, can't get in the country. The lack of availability of freight space going forward is going to be quite serious, Ms. Tipping said. It depends on how long this epidemic goes for and how long these restrictions and controls are in place. But it's also going to affect people's confidence on a national level, on an international level, demand for goods and services. If it's going to ha have to go through, um, such as Hong Kong, it's going to add costs, it's going to add time, and fresh food can't afford that time. It's very much on a shelf life system. Ms. Tipping said it's already too early to know the full extent of the situation. It hasn't affected the general exporter at this point. There are still ships coming and going, but we don't know what the future will hold, what even next week holds with regards to other aircraft and vessels coming in. The story is not yet known. We just have to take it step by step to see what we can from Australia's perspective to assist and to look at markets that could possibly go besides Australia at this, China at this point. We'll see calls for government assistance. We're getting more and more and more calls for government assistance, guys. This is Shouldn't our mark our businesses be a little bit more resilient? Shouldn't people manage and plan for this? If you're too dependent on one sector, guys, we saw, you know, we saw the, the cooperative in over in Western Australia, guys. Okay? In the 50s. They pivoted. They adjusted. They responded. It's happened in the past, guys. We're not that special these days. Things happen all the time. History doesn't exactly repeat. But it does seem to go follow patterns, doesn't it? So commercial fisherman Chris Harry Harris said the industry needed financial help. We don't get paid if we can't send the product to China, Mr. Harris said. I can't pay my crew, so we can't go fishing. And I've got bills to pay. And if I can't go fishing, what do I do? I can't get any fish out, so the buyers are hurting. People who sell us bait, they're hurting. Whoever's into the fishing industry will be hurting. So there you have it, guys. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think the government needs to step in and help these industries? Do you think there needs to be a drive for more people to eat locally produced seafood? Can Australians afford it? Have these industries gotten too adapted to the expensive prices that are happening in China? Let me know your thoughts and opinions in the comments below. Please like, share and subscribe to the channel. If you're a fan and would like to Help us a little bit extra. We have a Patreon where you can make a monthly donation. You can also join the channel here on YouTube. We get access to badges and emojis. We have affiliate links with Independent Reserve, Amazon and eBay for your consumer purchases. We also have Pocket Squares. We sell on the Heises website and PayPal if you want to contribute that way. Thanks to everyone who's helping support the channel. It's allowing us to buy new equipment. I've just, uh, the video I did with Rachel and I with regards to the a child or childcare homeschooling we use the new microphones that i purchased so that's why the first half of the video sounds real good and when my camera stopped working because i got the footage from someone else the second half doesn't so thank you all very much take care and i'll talk to you in the next video bye for now